Hello and welcome to another episode of Checkpoint, the podcast highlighting and telling the stories of influential leaders in and around the sports industry. Today, we're excited to welcome our next guest, Angel Mason, to the show. Angel is currently serving as the Director of Athletics at Barry College. Before Angel embarked on her athletic administrative tenure, it's worth mentioning that she was a force to be reckoned with while she was playing basketball at Butler University. She lettered all four years and was named to the Horizon League All-Defense Team in 2004. After, playing her, after her playing days had stopped, uh, she went on to continue her or start her journey at Vassar College, Cal Institute of Technology, Hamilton College, and Pomona College before landing at Barry just over a year and a half ago. Angel is a servant leader that enjoys the competition that her job brings and at her core is a driven, organized, student-focused professional. She currently resides in Floyd County, Georgia, where she is navigating the Vikings athletic program through this unusual fall. But for the next 45 minutes, she's hanging out with, his, hanging out with us here on Checkpoint. Angel, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, I woke up this morning. It's going well. That could have gone another direction. So we're great. Listen. In 2020, we will take that, I promise, right? Absolutely, <laughs> we will take it. Well, for all you first-time listeners just tuning in, uh, we are going to spend the next 45 minutes getting to know Angel. We're going to hear her story on how she got here, what she's currently doing over there at Barry, and you know, with all of that experience, where she thinks, where, where she sees things going. So, um, in order to do this story justice, we have to go all the way back. So my first question to you, Angel, is when did sports come into your life? And, you know, where did you pick up or first pick up that basketball? Oh, wow. OK. Um, <laughs> sports, uh, so sports has always been around. Uh, my family is very athletic. Um for fun, like for family bonding, for things like that. Um, I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. I uh, got a chance to go and graduate from high school at Evanston Township on the, the North Shore where Northwestern University is. So, you know, going over the outdoor courts over at Northwestern University, playing pickup games with my aunts and my grandmother and just kind of hanging out outdoors with the younger cousins and stuff like that was always a part of what we did. Um, Basketball was not my first sport, track and field was, so I was a sprinter. That's what I grew up really focusing on. Um, basketball, we kind of just did for fun as a family. My twin aunts were very good. Uh, they went to college on basketball scholarships. One of my aunts um, at Purdue, and then she transferred to Illinois State and another at Barbara Scotia in South Carolina. So they were the basketball players. Um, I really started playing basketball and focusing in on it in about the eighth grade. Um, and then in high school is when it was like, okay, this is what I need to do as we start thinking about, hey, it's not an option for you to not go to college. And side note, there's no money, there's no savings, there's nothing there. So <laughs> you need to figure out how you're gonna go to college. And so free 99 sounded really good. Um, <laughs> and track scholarships are out there. Um, but from the small knowledge base that I had, they were a lot harder to attain and have a full ride in comparison to basketball scholarships, you know. So figured pretty decent height. Um, I can handle a little competition um, pretty fast. That's also to your advantage in the game of basketball. And I can take a hit. So uh, we'll, we'll do basketball. We'll focus on that. And I loved it. 
I loved it. Um, you know, um, track is really you in the clock. No matter who you train with, train against, it's you in the clock. Uh, basketball, it's you, it's your teammates, it's the person you're standing in front of trying to keep them from scoring points. There's just, there's a little more of like a vibe in basketball that I really dig. I, I like the the head-to-head -head competition. Um, so that's when I really started getting into basketball. I had a really, really great career at Evanston Township. Some great teammates from that. One of my best friends in life. Um, we played basketball there together and just, you know, it was at the time, you know, you're 14 to 18. You think it's like <laughs> the end of the world, you know? Um, so it was the, it was the best thing. Um, I verbaled and then eventually signed with Butler the end of my junior year which I'm glad I did. My senior year during the state tournament, it, I tore my ACL and it was a hot mess in the middle of a playoff game. And that was the end for me um, as far as high school. So I didn't end it the way that I wanted to, but I knew I had college in front of me. And so that helped me stay focused and going on to Butler, I was happy with my choice there. Uh, great institution. It was just small enough to where I wasn't a number and I got to know my professors and I had deep rooted relationships with people that were student athletes and that weren't student athletes. Um, but it wasn't so small that you know you didn't have a place to breathe. You know, Indianapolis is a very vibrant city, so much going on, multiple professional sports teams. I was a communications major, so I got to work for radio now and be around sport professionals and work post game for the Pacers and got to do some scouting for the WNBA team when they first got started and everything. So it's a lot of fun. It's like, it's a sports city. And I mean, come on people to play at Hinkle Fieldhouse, like <laughs> basketball royalty, anybody they don't know that they're lying, you know, like it's basketball royalty. So it was a great place. I loved it there. Um, I fell in love all over again with basketball while being there between the close relationship with my teammates and then with our men's basketball programs. Um, you know, one of my best friends, Dwayne Lightfoot, was a men's basketball player there and hanging out with him and TJ and Joel and all the guys. Like it was it was a good time. We had a good community um, around basketball there. So stayed there yeah. for four years. Um, after I graduated, I went on to play over in Reykjavik, Iceland, and then in Madrid, Spain, and ended my career on my own terms, um, which was something I really wanted to do after having my high school career taken from me when I knew I should have had a state championship. But that's a side note. I'm almost <laughs> over it um, because I'm trying to move on with my life. But, you know, having that with, you know, playing professionally and then getting to end on my own was perfect. But then after that, like the key question is, what do you plan on doing with the rest of your life? Um, so, so before you move on, this has been an interesting through line for us. You know, we've had influential folks from the the, administ the administrative lens come on, the athlete lens, and you sort of are under that whole umbrella. You know, you did it as an athlete and now you're doing it as an administrator. But mm -hmm. Leaving sport on your own terms is always something very interesting, right? It's almost like as if you have control over it. But I'm curious, right? Because that still there's still a big transition from athlete to administrator. Did you feel like in that in between there, like 
who is Angel and like almost having to redefine yourself or what was that transition like for you? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, the playing side, yeah, I got to make a conscious decision that this was going to be it. But the training, um, mentally, how you kind of wake up and attack your day, it's very different when you don't have that same push and drive for the competitive sport lens, right? Like my entire existence was waking up to go to battle daily, you know? Even as, even as a collegiate student athlete, right? Yes, number one, we're students first, but let's be honest, most of us chose our schools because we were also going to be able to play the sport that we loved. So that was a heavy driver. Um, and it, it was rough, it was rough. Um, and for me, it was more of like, well, what's next? You know, I had a professional career that I planned on going into and I was like, this sounds boring. I don't know that I'm gonna wanna get up and do this for the next 30 years. Um, I had a mentor from my alma mater, John Hind, and Miss Alfreda Goff, who actually worked for the conference office that we were in at the time. And they're both like, you should get into athletics. And so for me, I'm like, oh, uh, I guess I gotta be a coach, right? What else do I know? I know basketball. Uh, and, and so that's what I did. And I thought that I was gonna be a career coach and that's what I was gonna do. And I ended up at Vassar with a wonderful internship. Um, the, it was the Division Three Ethnic Minority and Women's Internship Grant. And it's like two years, schools apply for it and they decide what the job would be. And so my job was operations manager and assistant women's basketball coach. I really wanted the job because of the assistant women's basketball coach. That's what I thought I was gonna be doing. And you know, you, you're out there, you're trying to, to, to coach and teach the game that you love, but in the same token, you still have enough skills to do it yourself. And so trying to have that line between how do I show you what you're supposed to be doing and how do I use kind of my, my words and my own knowledge base to teach you how to do it yourself so that we don't have to keep revisiting it. And that that was tough, right? And then there's also that that pride, right? Every every kid, every class that you bring in, there's always a kid that believes that they're the best thing since sliced bread and <laughs> show you up. And your own self pride is like, oh, uh, come on, let let. <laughs> um, and so that was hard to let go of in the beginning, you know, because you still have that built in. And don't don't get me wrong, that's not gone, right? I'm I'm multiple years removed now, and you know, I've had a, a player here say, you know, Miss Angel, you think you can take me? And I'm like, sweetie, I'll retear both of these ACLs to win. That's hey. to lose to you, you know, <laughs> so that's not gone, but I'm knowledgeable enough now to know I, I can't do what these 18 to 21 year olds are doing. You know, my body's not in that place anymore, but my mind thinks that it is. So it's a it's a difficult transition. Uh, when I decided to fully leave coaching and focus my career on administration, if I told you that October 15th, I don't get butterflies every year. I'd be lying. I still love it. I still, as soon as that day comes, I'm looking out of my window down on the basketball court. And I'm like, oh man, you know, it's, it's a part of what is innately in me now. Um, and it's a, it's a tough transition. It definitely is. What I will say is getting to stay in athletics, especially as an administrator and getting to have that feeling with multiple sports, 
multiple student athletes, that, you know, that underlying itch that you have, it, it does get fulfilled. But it it took some time to get there. It definitely took yeah. time to get there. Well, and I think that, you know, it's unique that you came back into sports. And, you know, one thing, just going back to what you said, is you said you had mentors and coaching off of the court that sort of helped you navigate through this. And, you know, I think that's paramount as athletes uh, trying to transition from our playing days into the real world. We are so used to being coached and our schedules are so used to being from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, you know what you're going to be doing and it doesn't matter the day on the calendar. And so I think a lot of athletes, once they fall off there or they start that downward transition, whether it's forced or they choose to, well, then it's like, where do I go for coaching? And so um, we're going to put a feather in that because I'm really excited to talk about as you're preparing the you know Vikings as they go out into the real world, how you're bridging that gap. But we'll get there, you know, as the conversation goes. So so let's talk about October 15th. Just for the sake of, of current times, you know, we know where that we're in COVID. This has been a crazy time for you to be an athletic director. Give us a little insight as to how you guys have been handling, you know, this fall with the spring on the horizon and basketball season coming up. Yeah. So um, there's been a, a obviously a couple of NCAA changes that we've done. We've, we've gone away from the declared playing and practice seasons for this year. So there's no traditional or non-traditional season this year. Um, October 15th has turned into October 1st for this year. Um and we also have the 114 days instead of our declared weeks for playing and practice season. So this year, what we've done is our coaches are managing how many days they want to use this fall and how many they're saving for this spring with their team. So each of our coaches have submitted their calendars. Um, we have some parameters around the spaces that we use, the number of people that can be in those spaces, including coaches. Um, you know, we're juggling with athletic training because, you know, it's, it's difficult for the support staff that are trying to first and foremost keep our students healthy. And that's through rehab for any, you know, injuries that may take place, but also just making sure that the bumps and bruises don't turn into something more. So our athletic training staff is, I mean, they've been, they've been killing it this fall and working very, very hard. So they've taken that weight off of my plate altogether. I can honestly say I don't spend much energy having to think about that because I know they're going to make great decisions. We have people that I can really trust in in them. So They've really been managing that part of it and just kind of keeping me abreast as we have things going on. Um, and our coaches have been really doing a lot of hard work in trying to keep our student athletes honest, trying to keep them masked, trying to help them understand, even outside of what we do athletically, what are you doing in the classroom, in your residence halls, when you're you know, around campus, as best as possible to keep their teams healthy. Um, our goal is to stay together for the semester, right? Mm -hmm. So we're, we're not pushing things out to five months down the line or to spring competition. We're trying to manage the here and now and do so well. And, and that primary part is let's stay together for the semester. Because if we can do that and we can stay together for the semester, we will have some, some ebb and flows, some ups and downs. But if we can manage those things, identify what issues we've had and be able to fix them, when the spring comes and we're actually trying to compete, 
then we should be able to turn things around, you know, much more quickly. Um, you know, as we see, rather be testing positive or through tracking and tracing or return to play protocols, all of those things will be fine tuned. And so we know that we're giving our students the best possible chance to get out there and compete and have as much of a new norm around sport as they can. So that's really been our focus this semester. Um, you know, the winter sports, we're taking that a day at a time as we're finding out more. We just got some new information about you know, number of days or, or dates of competition for basketball that'll be necessary. We now know what the tournament format will look like, but we know that we're still looking to have a tournament. So that's a big part of a decision, right? If you're not having the NCAA tournament anymore, it changes some of your decision-making on what you do with your team. Um, so we know that we're still having that. And our next step is as a conference to really kind of plot out how we are going to address our conference schedule. And we keep touching base with all of our non-conference opponents to see, are they still looking at playing or not? Um, and there's a big there's a big gap between that. We still have some schools that weren't in session this fall. So will they be back come the spring or not? You know, that that's part of it. Um, and if they do come back, is everybody actually on campus, right? You, yeah. have, to be, you have to be brick and mortar to be a varsity student athlete. You, you can't be remote. Virtual. Yeah. I, and I, and I, you know, I want to say I empathize with athletic directors during this fall, because not only are you having to con con you know, continue providing that experience for your athletes, but there's no uniform approach across divisions, across states. Um, and so it's really interesting as you're trying to think about, you know, things that would come so natural as far as just planning a season and having an opponent, we don't even know if they're going to be at school. And so, um, you know, I think that you guys are dealing with a ton behind the scenes that nobody really knows. Or I think as the spectator or viewer, we just take for granted like, oh, Barry's going to show up and play on Wednesday, but they don't think about how we even get there, how the kids eat. And it, there's just a lot of moving parts. So definitely empathize with you. And, and before we go into sort of like how you guys are tackling that, I'm really curious. You know, we talk about the, the physicians really taking care of the physical health of the students, making sure that everyone is tested and safe. Um, mental health has been just at the forefront of all discussions. And, you know, I can remember being an athlete that was stress just on its own, just being there in that environment. I couldn't imagine doing it in the face of the pandemic. How are you guys helping your student athletes and coaches and administrators make sure that it's okay to be a human first and then an athlete second? Yeah. So that has started for us, I would say, right after everything kind of hit the fan this past spring. Um, our coaches have been doing an incredible job with touching base and staying connected with their young people. Um, they have been telephone calls one-on-one. -on -one. They've been doing small group Zooms. They've been doing full team Zooms. Um, I've been sending out different messages. We're doing these mental health check-ins. I know at one point I just put up an image on my social media and was like the hearts were different levels of where you are. And then was just sending personal messages to students that, you know, we're showing, we're, we're showing a yellow or an orange or a red heart. I mean, like I'm struggling. This is very difficult or I'm in a bad place, you know, um, but just those personal touch bases and reaching out. Um, we did different videos to show kids how, 
to be physically active at home, to burn some of that energy, that anxiety, those things that were going on, you know, ways to do that with individuals that may not be able to be as, you know, active. So if you're rehabbing, but you still want to be a little physically active with your parents or grandparents or aunt and uncle, whomever you are at home with, here are some things you guys can do together to where you still have a good workout and you can stay engaged. Uh, Ginger Swan, she handles wellness for us as a department and she's been heavily involved working through our SAC, our Student Athlete Advisory Committee, and them actually having spaces where students can talk through things, bring things to the table. But I would say for us, our coaches, first and foremost, they're, I mean, they're on the front lines and they are there for our students. They're taking phone calls all hours of the day and night. You know, I'm getting updates and text messages when we have somebody that we're concerned about. We're connecting them since we're here and on campus. We're connecting them with the services that we have here at the college. Um, and I have to say, we, we do have some amazing resources here um, that are free for our students. That's incredible. So there's no barriers as far as financial that would keep our students from getting the care that they need. And the same goes for our coaches, right? They're, they're on the front lines taking care of our students, but I have to make sure I remind myself and remind them that I need for you to take care of you so that you can continue to take care of them. Um, and, and they're doing a great job of that. Um, and people are taking the day when they need the day. You know, for me, it's like, you need a mental health day, just take the mental health day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that we can make sure that you're able to bring your best self to work and you can support your kids and you can make sure that the care that our families left their kids in, they know they're getting that. Mm. And, and you know, what's been really interesting, Angel, is, you know, when I played sports, mental health was sort of just on the cusp of breaking that taboo to talk about. But when we talk about folks that played in the early 2000s and then you go back to the 90s, 80s and they're like, no, student athlete. We were an athlete that went to a school and you, you slowly saw to see that paradigm you know, start to shift. And and I got to tell you, with every obstacle comes an opportunity to evolve. And so COVID has been terrible for so many reasons and it's disrupted so much. But I can promise you that there, coming out of this, I think that we are recognizing that we need to be more holistic in the way that we approach these. And they are student athletes and mental health is something that we cannot avoid anymore. So kudos to you guys. Um, it sounds like the Viking family has just embraced um, this aspect of humanity and, and continuing to break the stigma. So awesome to hear how you guys are handling that. Now, one thing that can disrupt the mental health are budgets. And I know that those become very stressful, especially in the point of a, a pandemic. Um, we've been really fortunate to get in the weeds and start to understand how human capital is being squeezed, especially at the lower levels. So you're having to rely on technology um, and some of these you know, more streamlined processes. Do you mind shedding a little light with the listeners where you guys are taking the program and leaning on technologies to help bring you to the next level as budgets are getting slashed? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we started out in a space where we were not traveling at all for recruiting. Um, and as we know, we can't do what we do without recruiting uh, new student athletes. So we did a lot of leaning on like different areas that were filming showcases or individual workouts and all of those different types of things 
we were doing all of our interactions with our students virtually. Um, I have to I have to give a, a good kudos to our institution for purchasing the large uh, institutional membership for us to have access to the Zooms because, you know, we can host up to 500 people in a Zoom. Wow. Right? So for those who don't have that large institutional or business agreement, they're capped at like, I think it's like 60 minutes or something for a certain number of people. We don't have that problem. So we're, we're able to pull our people together. Um, we've done some kind of state of the college uh, meetings over, um, over Zoom. And then we, we used another platform for one that the president's office had done. And then we had, um, we've done an athletics kind of round table that we did two of them for parents and for student athletes to try and share information. They're able to type in questions. They have myself, a couple of coaches, our president, who is a huge supporter of athletics, actually on the line. And you're hearing from the people that are making decisions directly. So we have definitely taken on the ability to engage with technology. And honestly, our college as a whole has done so. So of course, athletics has been able to fall in underneath that without any additional financial burden just directly on our operating budget. So that's been huge. Um, and as we kind of move forward, we'll have to continue to invest in the technologies that we use. So one of the things that we're doing right now is we, like we know, COVID is not going anywhere anytime soon, but we hope to be playing in the spring and that's what we're planning on. That's where our direction is. And so we still want for our alums and our supporters and our parents to still be able to watch our programs compete. Uh, so our major thing right now is we're, we're doing some fundraising to be able to have um, video setups at each of our varsity venues to be able to live stream. We transition mm -hmm. sidearm sport. We'll be able to do and host as many live streams as we can actually uh, manage. We have the bandwidth there. So we've invested in that way. And now we're just doing our fundraising campaign to be able to have a live stream of all of our major venues. So, you know, Valhalla and here in the Cade Center and um, over at the baseball and the softball field and our soccer stadium. So we're setting those things up now. Um, and our hope is to be able to do some of that uh, towards the end of this fall with some inner squad scrimmages so that one, we, we test out our process. We get to work yeah. through the nooks and crannies. <laughs> technology is great until it's not. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna get to work through those things this fall. And then by the time we get to the spring, we'll be able to have that engagement because you know, if, if I'm being realistic, do I think that we're going to be having outside fans coming to games right away? No, I don't. Yeah. Um, because as a college, our priority is maintaining the safety and the health of our campus. And so if we're already going to be bringing competitors here, do we actually want to open the gate to friends and fans and family and all of those type of things? So we want to stay as closely aligned with the college as a whole um, with a couple of the nuances of, of what it means to be an institution that values having varsity athletics. Love it. And at this point, all you Viking alum that are listening to this, uh, get behind the athletic program. They're fundraising. So there's my subtle little plug for you guys there. Um, but, you know, it, it is interesting, right? Like, I mean, you know, because in, in order to take advantage of these technological advances, um, 
it has to be funded from somewhere. And, you know, we're all going through this together and it's impacting us all in different ways. And so it's really interesting to hear um, behind the scenes how athletic directors and presidents are getting creative to still provide that solution. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that top notch experience for your athletes, even though we can't do it in the traditional way that we once might have. So, um, so, so got one more question while we're, we're talking about this and I don't know how much this applies to Barry, but it's going to cascade across the whole NCAA. So I think it's worth asking, but name, image, and likeness is coming downstream. We always hear about the Zions or we hear about, you know, the, you know, the big time athletes that are going to make these sneaker deals. How are you guys handling that at a division three school where it's smaller, but there's still an impact for your athletes? Yeah. So we haven't had to, you know, dive too deep into it at this point because, you know, honestly, the big programs will have to work through all of the minutia of it. Um, I do envision for us and, you know, it's going to be anybody that gets to live in small town USA. Right. And I think that's one of the things that is not being addressed very much. If you're in a small community and your institution really is the primary, then the students at your institution, they're a great choice for the local car dealership. They're a great choice for the mom and pop restaurants and shops and things of the sort. Um, so I see some of that being a part of those arrangements. Now, I don't think that there's the same amount of money in it that people believe are in it from small town USA perspective, because there are partnerships already with those institutions, right? So if the college yeah. already has a partnership that is with that car dealership, now you've, you've taken away the opportunity for more of the prospective student athletes to have access to that um, in the same way, you know, with the same dollar mark. But what I will say is if you are, you know, a basketball player, a football player, an amazing soccer player, and, and you're just killing it, yeah, you, you stand a chance. Um, I think where a lot of attention isn't being paid are to these Olympic sport athletes that have been in spaces already for years and that have had different type of exceptions to some of our rules for years of how they function a little bit differently. Um, for example, like a tennis player. A tennis player has been a brand all their own since they were a child, right? Their star ratings for tennis players is a part of how they're recruited to different levels. They've had their own tennis pros, they're serving coaches, they've had these different unique things. So they're super easy to tap for a local racket company or for somebody that's building a new streaming machine or any of those type of things that you wouldn't really think of an individual's name, image, or likeness being able to really be major benefit as far as monetary. And there is actually some potential for that, right? Because they are basically semi-pro from the point in which they become good enough, right? Interesting. If, if you're a strong enough individual sport athlete, you're beginning to play on circuits pre-college, once you're in college, same thing for your golfers, you know, it's just different. Um, and I don't think we've spent a lot of energy in that because we see the dollar marks around shoe deals and poster campaigns and all of that stuff for your football and basketball players. Um, but I do think that there will be potential out there for smaller monetary um, for Olympic sport athletes. But if you're killing it, I don't care about division. 
lots of the things will come down to where you are in, in the country and where your school is and how much of a mark you land on that. You know, if you are in the middle of Podunk anywhere and you're Georgia, <laughs> you know, and you have and you have access to some people or things that want to invest in in your young people. Yeah, it, it, it could definitely happen. Even it's a great it's a great use case you bring up there. I don't think I would have thought just like the majority of people about the Olympic sport athletes. And I'm curious because you seem a little bit more read up on it than than me. Do you think that this would give those folks the ability to earn on their name even before college? Because now the idea of amateurism is just going to be eroded as we know it. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. For those, because they've always been a little bit different, right? Um, we have things in place where if they've made it to like the youth Olympic trials type of things, they can apply for dollars to be able to have a coach that supports them in their training for that, right? That's, that's different. A basketball player doesn't have access to a thing like that. The moment you start talking anything professional, you waive your amateurism, right? Yep. Um, Olympic sport athletes have always been a little bit different. And this will bring that a little more on the forefront than I think we've actually addressed quite yet. And of course, yes, if you are a four-star rated athlete in high school, you're going to have some potential for some things that you wouldn't have had before because you're trying to keep your amateur status. And you want to make sure you get the chance to go to college because your major dream is to be a doctor or to be a scientist or to be an entrepreneur and you wanna have some baseline underneath you, well, now you're gonna have a chance to do all of that and then some. Interesting. And and the ripple effects, I think, is this is where I would say this, right? You were going to have the initial move, and then there's going to be a lot of ripples that come off the side of it that I will call them unintended consequences. And that's not necessarily negative. I think there's a lot of positive consequences that will come from that as well. Um, but again, we don't know what we don't know. Really interesting hearing it from the lens when, if you could imagine, and I just want you to put your, go back uh, to your playing days, could you imagine if you had name, image, and likeness, girl? Would you be killing it, or like, how, like it would have been? I couldn't imagine being an athlete with the ability to earn on my name. Yeah, um, I, I would have been able to do okay. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, high school. I was at a oh God. I went to a huge high school. Um, and we had local businesses around Evanston and Skokie and the North Shore that were huge supporters of us, like Gulliver's Pizza or Hearn's Restaurant. I definitely could have been on that payroll. Um, <laughs> and, and in college, you know, being an indie, Butler. Kills it. IUPY, you know, good job and, and everybody else. But when it comes to collegiate sport in Indianapolis, um, you know, Butler does okay. Um, and so, yes, there, I think Butler Tarkington area and Broad Ripple and all of that, a lot of the athletes that went to Butler would have had some opportunities that right now is about to be a, a real, a real option, you know, cause yeah. you, like, could you imagine like, oh my gosh, it, we're, and I do think though, there's going to be, as you said, ripple effects on both sides, both 
pros and you know perceived cons that we won't know how to deal with them until they actually take place, right? We, we're only trying to manage what we see like right in front of our noses right now. Um, and I don't think the pandemic is helping us be able to spend the amount of time on name, image, and likeness that we would have in order to flush everything out, right? The, the pandemic has taken all of our energy. And so I think a lot less people are even paying any attention to this, right? Updates are coming out and I'll mention it and talking to someone, they're like, oh God, I never, I didn't get to that yet. Imagine trying to sell a software into collegiate university or collegiate environment during this. Like, I mean, and that's just the reality is problems one through 20 are all around COVID. But what I can tell you, like, I think one of the silver linings of COVID is it's put people in a change mindset. And so name image likeness was going to catch people by, you know, off guard, regardless of how ready we thought we were for it. I think in some weird way, COVID is almost conditioning us mentally and physically to be like, hey, change is coming. It's about time that we embrace this instead of trying to run from it and be in this reactionary state. So I'm going to hold a little bit of optimism that we're going to pull some kind of positive because um, they're coming. <laughs> they're harder and harder to find as we get further and further along in 2020. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. There'll, there'll definitely be some positives. I think the other thing that will be a positive is that, you know, as individuals, we're starting to be in a much better place of, of care around how we approach every day, right? People are taking less things for granted. People are being a lot happier with time. I feel like a lot of people are going to feel better about paying their taxes for school teachers going three more weeks with having the second grader, the fifth grader and the eighth grader at home. Folks are ready to give them back to teachers right now. <laughs> so yep. I think once we kind of get to a better place with this, that as a, as a community, we're going to manage this much better than we would have without having to go through the pandemic. 100%. So this is this is the point where we start to get fun, right? So now we've heard Angel's journey as as an athlete, what you know, coming out of Chicago up to her Butler days. Then we heard your transition into the athletic administration world where you're absolutely crushing it at Barry. Now talk to me, where do you see yourself going? What is what is your ultimate goal um, in the athletic vacuum? Where do you want to land when this is all said and done? Yeah, um, you know, I try and bite off things in small chunks. Um, I think down the road, the first big goal around athletics is to try and be the best possible athletic director that I can be, to serve as many student athletes and coaches as I can, to spread my web of young people that I bring into the field. Um, I'd be lying if I said a part of that web doesn't include trying to bring in more women and more people of color into leadership roles to be able to continue to show people this is a possibility if you so choose it. Um, so that's very important to me and is something that I hope when I'm kind of gone, because that's normally when you get the data girl, um, that they'll be like, you know what? She she helped me get there. She helped me want to have that. She helped drive my passion around it. Um, so that is kind of what I hope to leave behind. And then eventually one of these days, I'll feel like I don't have to be on a college campus. 
Um, and when I get there, it will be from a space of trying to help push and promote colleges and universities to plan around personal and professional development, which is something that's really important to me. And I think the vast majority of that for me is, is going to be why I lay my last days. Um, mm -hmm. And it's gonna be through authentic development. I feel like the thing that makes you the best leader that you can be, the best administrator, the best coach, the best person is being authentically who you are and bringing that to the work that you do, um, people feel that, man. Like they, they can grow off of that. And I think so many times we try and fit into this box or mold of what people say we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to dress or how we're supposed to lead. Um, and I just, I, I feel like you need to just be able to take Angel. Um, my representative is cool. Like she works, people like her. Um, but who I am authentically is just, is much better. I can sleep with the decisions that she makes and the way in which she moves about the world. And so that's what I choose to bring with me. So in the next five years, trying really hard to expand that web and bring more young people um, into athletics through helping out with collegiate programs and their sport management programs and mentoring younger people. Um, and also serving as a mentor to our, my more senior administrators and coaches who are more disconnected from what the next generation is bringing. And then down that long, long, long yellow brick road, um, eventually being able to serve as an external consultant space of authentic development. That is, we need every athletic director to have that mantra. Um, you know, it's been really cool as I stepped out of the professional world and back into it. You know, one of the things that we talk about is how do you define success? And a lot of people do it through legacy. And um, I knew I liked you from day one when we crossed paths, but it's been no coincidence that the majority of the guests on here, when I ask them that question is to get to a place where they can reach one and teach one. Right. Because ultimately, as we go back downstream and start to elevate, it takes a tribe to actually make this society a better place, to make athletics a better place. And you, my friend, are a shining example that everybody needs to connect with. Um, so as we wind down, we're going to share all of your personal information or not all of it, but your social information so that people can. <laughs> Hey, they got it. It's 2020. OK, like it would just be me putting it out there now. <laughs> but but I'd be remiss without asking. I have two more questions before you as we wrap up. So one being a, a basketball player, favorite male and female basketball player that you have idled growing up and to this day. So my favorite male basketball player, and this will be no surprise to people, um, is Michael Jordan. Mm. And I will tell you, it is because growing up in Chicago, my great grandfather is, I mean, he was all things Chicago, high days, low days and all in between. Um, and I had a chance to go to camp with Michael Jordan. Um, I had a chance to meet him following a, a poetry contest there in um, Chicago. And I just felt like this dude competed in everything that he did. It was like, who could tie their shoelaces the best? And this dude was in it like there was a ring coming from it. So <laughs> I just love that. Um, I don't think that there, you know, he was everybody's best friend. Uh, but for me, even I say, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. And that's okay. Um, mm. Because I'm my cup of tea. 
the people who want this vibe, that want this energy, they'll come and find me. They'll seek me out and everybody else, you know, will kick rocks. But that guy, every aspect of what he did, I was just like, man, like if I could take some of that and bottle it up. So he has always been like the guy for me when it comes to basketball um, and favorite players. Uh, and then my favorite women's basketball player has been and will continue to be Cheryl Miller. She's, she's, she's boss. She's killed it. No one's going to tell me anything about her. She's been kicking guys' butts and women's butts forever. I just think she's amazing. And the way that she went from being an athlete to being a professional athlete and then turning around and being a professional in the sport realm, she's a boss. Like that queen's crown is real. So she has always been and continues to be my favorite female basketball player. Boom. Drop the mic with those two answers. Well said. I love it. Now, now this one's going to be directly personal to you as and the last question of the podcast. But Angel, you you have lived a life um, that I think we could all learn a lot from. But if you could tell our listeners one thing that you've done in your life that you would recommend they do or experience in theirs, what would that be and why? So if there was one thing, um, not for just the bells and whistles of it, but travel. And when you travel, engage in other people's cultures and their climate. Um, one of the advantages of basketball for me has been it has allowed me to see a lot of the world. Um, and it has made me want to go and continue to see the world on my own and, and get a little deeper into it. But one of the things that it has really, it's really done for me is given me a great understanding of the power in difference. Um, being in other people's culture, engulfing yourself in it, really understanding how they function, why they do what they do, what is their norm in comparison to what my own is, gives me a much different respect for it. Um, and I think it helps me be a better person, not just for like the work that I do, but, but for myself to be able to look myself in the mirror and check myself on some of the foolishness that I do, some of my own biases, some of those different type of things that, you know, sometimes we try and act like it's not there. So I would suggest if you can make it to travel, if you can take advantages of opportunities, rather it be through work, through education, through sport, um, do it. And when you do it, don't just stay in that hotel. Don't just go to the four-star restaurants. Don't do all the tourist stuff. Actually take in the community that you're being able to live within. And you can do a massive amount of that right here in the United States. You do not have to go abroad to do that. So that would be the one thing I would say. Wow. Um, tough to follow that up. All I will say, listeners, is that success leaves clues. And so um, if you've enjoyed the last 45 minutes of hearing Angel's story, take that to heart. Uh, draw a five hour circle around where you live and put yourself outside of your comfort zone. And you will realize that the reality is in your, your perception. And so go change that and you'll broaden your reality. Uh, Angel, this has been an unbelievable time checking in with you. Uh, I'm curious if folks want to learn more about Barry, if they want to you know, reach out to you for mentorship, where can they find you on social or on the web um, to learn more? Yeah. So um, 
if you're on, you know, you go to our Vikings Athletics, I'm on there, my contact information, my, my email is on there directly to me. I don't have somebody that filters through my email first. So my response time is about 48 hours. So, you know, give me a minute. <laughs> Uh, but I do always respond. Um, I have a lot of people that reach out to me on LinkedIn and it's just Angel Mason. And I definitely get back to people through that as well. I've met some really great people there on my social medias. It's uh, real AD. So it's like underscore and then real AD and then underscore again, something like that. You know, you got to be yep. on those social medias. But um, on social media, that's those are my my handles. I guess you would call them on those. But super open to people reaching out. Um, just give me 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. We'll give you 72. Uh, we're going to post all of those links behind this uh, when the episode drops. But Angel, thank you so much for coming on and shedding some perspective on this crazy fall. Um, I can honestly say after this conversation and getting to know you that the more we get folks like yourself in the NCAA and athletics, only good things are going to happen. So continue being unapologetically yourself. And listeners, until next time, be sure to check yourself.